Hey, Ben, the recording's, in, pro the recording's in progress. Thank you. And thank you, Zoom lady, for announcing it. <laughs> Hello and welcome, fellow osmologist to Osmology. I'm Sue. And I'm Ben. And in this episode, we're ready to scratch the surface of consumer behavior and how it can influence your marketing. Now, this is a huge topic. Huge. 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 Yes. And I was incredibly happy to take your four first idea bullet points <laughs> and make them what we did. Um, but it's definitely all worth considering. And there's a lot more to consider than what we'll talk about today, as much as we like to think that we hold a secret to quote unquote perfect marketing strategies. Humans are very complex creatures. So we're going to run down a list of some things uh, that can help drive or predict consumer behavior, maybe uh, things that can negatively affect consumer behavior, and talk about how they affect what we do and how we can work with them within the confines yeah. of how, how they exist in the world. Yeah. So before we dive in, the ideas that I threw at Sue that she so um, neatly wrapped into this episode. <laughs> um, admittedly, when I sent them, I was like, there's a lot, this is big, this is kind of overwhelming for me to even think about because there's, you know, the more of this kind of stuff that you're aware of and interacting with and doing and learning from, it all just takes more time, you know, mm -hmm. and as marketers, especially um, credit union marketers, you know, we, we know that resources are already tapped. So, um, you know, there's only so much time for this stuff, but, you know, trust in partnerships or even picking one of these things and, you know, using some aspect of it or, mm -hmm. you know, learning something from it um, likely will help you out, even if it's just um, a small portion of everything that we're going to be talking about today. So disclaimer, uh, don't feel like you need to do all this stuff. There's people to help uh, and even doing a little bit of it will be helpful. So yes. Yeah. And if the minimum that you take out of today is to be aware that uh, these things exist, consumer consumers will act how they will act and there are things that predispose them to act and think and buy and respond in certain ways and uh it still comes back to that tried and true sort of uh advice we always give which is try a thing see if it works and works uh something. keep <laughs> and keep keep trying do something right yeah <laughs> Cool. So first one, uh, cognitive bias. So cognitive biases, biases. Both. Like, I think yeah, it's right. both. Sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, these are unconscious errors in thinking that arise from problems related to memory, attention, and other mental mistakes. So these things result from our brain's efforts to simplify the incredibly complex world in which we live, right? So let's talk a little bit about how cognitive bias help or hurt marketing. You got a jumping off point, Stu? I do. Yeah. So the thing about cognitive bias is it's at its, maybe the simplest way to explain it is that it's a shortcut. Mm -hmm. So every, you know, we, we take in, uh, we take in all of the stimulus around us all of the time. And what cognitive bias does is it makes it easier to process things by not making us go through and fully process all of the uh, all of the stimulus that we're getting. 
-hmm. So where this can be really helpful in marketing is that you can, as a marketer, you can become aware of a cognitive bias that will help what you're trying to do. And people's, uh, people's shortcut and I, I, you know, looking at the different topics we have, the next, the next thing we're going to talk about is emotional triggers. And I think these two probably are really closely aligned because yeah. I think you, they, uh, you can have someone have a particular cognitive bias. It, that cognitive bias says, okay, you know, I'm looking at that picture of a dad with playing baseball with his son. And immediately, like what I see is a, a male, an older male, younger male, and there is a baseball. So my cognitive bias is that is a dad playing baseball with his son. And uh, that is not necessarily true. Point of fact, they're probably models, but right. <laughs> maybe not, maybe entirely unrelated. So my cognitive bias is that is what that is. And that's what that picture evokes for me. And then that moves on, that takes you to that emotional trigger of, you know, I loved playing baseball with my dad. So therefore, ergo, I am going to buy your corn dogs or whatever you're selling because my cognitive bias tells me that you're talking about one of my core memories. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great and really easy to understand example. And, um, you know, you can apply that in things like, like the example you gave, uh, you know, picture or video of um, two completely unrelated people painting this picture that they're related mm -hmm. and connecting to some emotion. Um, and, you know, you can do this in a whole bunch of different types of medium, right? Like photo, video, even like animation, illustration. Uh, and then there's like drilling down into that and saying the way that you use color and some of those things mm -hmm. can all also just, you know, create this deeper connection or um, make the shortcut even quicker, I guess, if that's what we're referring to the bias as, right? Right, right. Yeah, it's, so, it's, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, so helpful uh, to know how that might connect with consumers or potential consumers, the people you're trying to interact with. Um, hurtful if uh, we're the ones making some assumptions or using our own life experiences to um, mm -hmm. uh, guess or um, speculate what people might connect with when in fact our experience might be totally different than the people we're trying to attract. So being aware of our own biases and how that could be a negative is super important too. Sorry to transition there if that was sooner than you were hoping. That's okay. No, let's move on. Let's talk about emotional triggers because I do, I, I really honestly don't think we can talk about these two things without each other, right? Mm, right. Uh, so emotional triggers are automatic responses to specific, specific stimuli. Triggers can be people, places, or things. They can be smells. They can be words. They can be colors. Um, emotional triggers are automatic responses to the way others express emotions like anger or sadness. And uh, Again, this is one of those things where, as marketers, we can use those emotional triggers to our benefit. That is why, you know, you maybe see so many ads uh, 
ads for mortgages that include happy families or people, you know, what looks like a happy couple on a couch, you know, some, some of those things that, that is meant to trigger an emotion. It's not, uh, it's, it should be deliberate, right? Right. Yeah. To do that. Um, it's funny and, to think about, and I'm so sorry to interrupt, but the, okay. example, the example you give about, um, you know, the happy people that get their mortgage, you know, and are maybe just moving in and unpacking the boxes and stuff, you know, obviously all really intentional. And if you've ever been through that process, you know, <laughs> you know, it doesn't look like that. You know what I mean? And get a host, they said, it'll be fun, they said, you know, and then uh, you get in there and it's, you know, chaos for a while. But of course, right. the end, you know, the end or the outcome that everybody's shooting for is happiness right. and, you know, a, a home and a space, you know, so maybe we as marketers fast forward uh, a little yeah. bit. Or, yeah. All you have to do is get the boxes in the house, guys. Yeah. And then You'll be everything so else happy. Is magic. Right. <laughs> Yeah. All the toilets work. There's no leaks anywhere. Yeah. Right. You can find, you can find the colander when all you have, all you can find is spaghetti. Right. You don't have any food. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Definitely. That is a fast forward for sure. Um, I think the flip side is when you start to think about what, uh, what the, how those triggers could affect someone negatively. Right. So uh, now this is not to say that we can, we can't market, although we'll talk about this, we can't market to the individual level at this point, but, you know, you could, another way that this could affect negatively, as far as an emotional trigger, talk about that, you know, that happy family and maybe a scene of a family dinner for some people family dinners are not (laughs) happy memories right right. so I mean the what what will happen I think in that case is uh the simplest thing on the for the marketers side is someone sees that it creates um a negative emotional trigger which is probably just a blip right for that person, but it's coming from somewhere and they pass you by. And that is, that's how their emotional trigger is going to affect what your marketing is. Mm-hmm. It's not, uh, it is not the worst possible thing that could happen because a lot of people pass a lot of things by for a lot of reasons. Right. But you, you know, you genuinely may not realize when you're putting something together and as you said could be photo could be video could be illustration could be any anything really um it can be a little bit unpredictable how the people that you are hoping to target are going to react to something that you you're feeling that your cognitive bias is telling you oh you know i had these great happy memories with my family at my family dinners and someone else you know, that looks like prison to them. Yeah. Yeah. So, so all that you can do is the best with the information that you have and right. create stuff that you think is going to, you know, speak to the majority of your audience and, uh, and know that it's not going to resonate with everyone. This is part of the gig. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And, and focus on the things that, uh, focus on the idea that marketing is 
intended to elicit an emotion. Yeah. So uh, that is, you know, it's sort of our bread and butter, right? Mm -hmm. Is finding those things that will create an emotion in someone or, you know, bring out an emotion in someone and uh, let that help move your message along. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Positive or negative, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, it's why you see the infomercial, uh, you know, actor just stumbling to get that Tupperware out of the cupboard. Right. And it all falls. (laughs) But um, obviously trying to create an emotion there and, you know, you know, Mm -hmm that's a, a gross exaggeration, I guess, you know, there's everything in between from the happy dinner table thing to the gross exaggeration on the negative side, um, all designed with intent and, you know, made to bring about an emotion. Right, right. So you use the example, Ben, of uh, using color, just mm-hmm. color by itself as something that does this. So, you know, maybe getting into a little more abstract idea, can you talk sure. a little bit about how you can use color to elicit emotion. Yeah. And maybe I can even just wrap it all up into color and design, right? You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, you you think, think of, I hate to go to what feels like an obvious example, but think of an Apple ad, you know, I mean, smooth, sharp lines, crisp shapes, and really intentional use of color. Um, The the one that comes to mind as I'm thinking right now is the uh, most recent iPhone 14 commercial, or at least the most recent one that I've seen, uh, where they released the new yellow version of it. And it's just, you know, super, you know, it's illustrated and big, chunky kind of drawings and Mm -hmm. high energy and yellow tones. So obviously making a connection to the device they're selling, but also we're transitioning to summertime here in North Mm -hmm. America and so sunny, bright, vibrant, you know, so like if I'm at all on the fence about getting a phone and if yellow is even anywhere near the top of my, you know, favorite color in the palette and uh, I'm excited for summer, I mean, like there could just be enough of those little like micro moments in that you know, consumption of that ad to be mm-hmm. like, you know, you're right. I do need a new phone and I got to get that <laughs> yellow. You know, so like yeah. that, that's a very specific example. But um, yeah, I think, you know, using color, shape, you know, basic design principles mm-hmm. to try and um, elicit an emotion. And again, all on the same scale, right? That's why using that infomercial uh, example again, they, mm-hmm don't use the same normal colors as when they're shooting it they give it this big heavy gray overtone yeah. and it's like, the world is the worst when I'm getting my Tupperware you know so <laughs> um, all small changes that are really right. easy to do in the editing room but you know can make a big impact on how people react to it yeah can we, let's let's dwell on that Apple commercial because I, I know the one you're talking about another thing about that one I think is interesting is to me it feels like a tone shift to some degree for Apple because that really is a pretty funky commercial. Yeah. And I think that is to what that is telling me is that they are trying to push into an audience with a different mindset with, and I think the color speaks to it. I think the way it's illustrated speaks to it the sort of funkiness of it and it's a really good example of being able to speak to a different audience um using color using tone using movement but still you know apple's brand is clean 
Mm-hmm. So it's still some somehow it's both funky and clean. I can't explain that. Yeah. But it still is. Well, I think that's the strength of Apple's brand, right? Where, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of a video like that, that um, you know, looks nothing like the stuff that you see at their like developers conference or on their website or anything, mm-hmm. you know, where it's all super modern and you know, crisp and clean. Um, all that it takes for them uh to maintain their brand integrity is at the end of a funky commercial like that put their logo over a white screen and Mm. done you know (laughs) so um, takes a lot of time and uh, brand work to get you to that point but yeah and totally agree I mean I think they're they're clearly uh, going after a specific group of people that something like that might resonate with Mm -hmm. yeah so speaking of people yeah, yeah. Let's talk about buyer personas, Ben. Nice segue yeah. to wow. <laughs> so yeah, buyer personas are semi-fictional representations. I don't know why I say semi-fictional, like that's a loose term. They are definitely semi-fictional uh representations of your ideal customers based on your data and research and definitely lots of again, theme of the day, pros and cons, benefits and pitfalls mm-hmm. of using personas and you know i think everything we're talking about today is all you know tied together as we're developing personas we're probably using some of our biases to build mm-hmm. those people or that person and um thinking about how they might react to something emotionally our biases are intertwined into that but um the thing that i really like about um using personas on any level is there's what there's uh, like an ingrained um, use of empathy that has mm-hmm. to happen. You know, you you have to put yourself in the brain or in the shoes of the person that you're building, whether this is something you do often or you go surface level or really deep, you know, you have to consider, you know, what they're thinking, seeing, feeling, doing. Um, and all of this helps inform what you might do by uh or what you might do with the information of building this person, person, right? Right. And uh, as a, uh, as a I3 guy from filing Mm -hmm. and having used the filing method, it, uh, it really, it speaks entirely to that idea of being able to view things through the customer slash members eyes. Right. Right. And, uh, at the at the end of the day, not to put too fine of a point to it, but the power of a consumer persona is really reminding yourself they don't care what you need as a business. Yeah. They it's or that's want, right? yeah they are not uh, you're not their priority. <laughs> uh, so to start to look at things through their eyes and see what their priority really is, and then genuinely connect what you're trying to what is going to be your bread and butter to what they need um is i think that just not just powerful from the ability to actually sell but is a really ethical way to to do business right mm-hmm. um because if you my belief is that if you have to spend some majority of your time convincing people they need the thing you need right you have to talk them into it all of the time because they don't 
because it doesn't connect to their needs, their wants, anything like that. Some argument could be made mm-hmm. that uh, you're cluttering up the landscape. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I can't think of a nice way to put that, but yeah, you know. Well, and you know, we uh, we live in a cluttered landscape, you know, as marketers, and I think that is partially because there are a lot of people businesses out there trying to convince people Mm -hmm. that you need that thing when really um, in some cases nobody needs that thing uh, (laughs) but you can make money selling it right right Um, and in other cases you know there's something that's off either the timing or the um, audience or the price Mm -hmm. or whatever you know and like when when one aspect of that is off and there's a lot of people um, playing on the same field, it can feel super crowded, no doubt. Right. That's where it's tough, you know, no matter how much somebody wants or needs your thing and how much is right about your business or the thing that you're selling, like it's, it's tough to stand out because Mm -hmm. um, it's just crowded. It's really crowded. Right. Right. You know, this is really like a baseline thing that we're talking, you know, people have heard like, building buyer personas or uh, customer segmentation or, you know, target audience, you know, whatever, like all of these, I guess, marketing terms that people are using to help, you know, try and build their work for the people that are, you know, that they're intending their message for. Um, But at the core of all of it, and I don't mean to go all kumbaya, but I think it's really only effective when like empathy is built Mm -hmm. into that thing that you're doing you know you can't just look at people as audiences without understanding what the audience is hearing feeling seeing doing you know and um, trying to put yourself in their shoes and in their life experience Um, it there's so much information out there that it's really easy to just grab a pool of people that are within an age range within an income Mm -hmm. range and we know might be uh, you know at a point in their life where they're ready to buy the thing that you're selling but it goes, you know, empathy can help you go way further beyond that and create mm-hmm. an emotional connection to, you know, improve the likelihood that they are going to actually buy the thing that you're selling because they truly do want it or need it based on what's happening in life, you know, right. to them as humans, as people. Yeah. Well, and being being able to sell through empathy because you are genuinely connecting to something that a person needs virtually assures a loyal customer yeah right you know if you if you are spending all of your time trying to convince someone they need the thing um they may purchase it Mm -hmm. because some people are just that good a salesperson uh but as soon as there's a problem there is a operational error there you know any anything goes wrong uh, you risk losing them immediately. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you can create a loyal customer by connecting with them through empathy, understanding how your product or service genuinely makes their lives better, um, they, they will come back. Right. And uh, it, it, I, to me, there's, there's really no more powerful way to do business than to then to create loyalty instead of you know instead of sales yeah that is the ideal scenario where the mm-hmm. customer or the member um gets to that conclusion themselves like i needed this this right. was a game changer for me and that that doesn't it doesn't need 
sometimes it can, it is life-changing or it can be life-changing, but sometimes it can just be something that gives you three minutes back in your day, you know, and right. that right. can make someone feel like I couldn't live without this thing or this yeah. company that provides it for me. Yeah. I am right now the, the wheels in my brain are turning because I'm trying to remember uh, a sales class I used to give and one of the core tenets of this class was that people only buy for three reasons and my brain is trying to pull mm. those three reasons out because they need something uh because it, it solves a problem they have but no it's only two reasons it either solves a problem they have or it makes them feel better mm. so that's that's the only reason people buy things um and if you and actually i think my argument would be that s- making you feel better, making you feel good is solving a problem you have, right? right? right. So people only, there's only one reason people buy things is it solves a problem. Now the problem might be, you know, today I'm feeling stressed and depressed and I need to buy lip gloss because even though it's going to sit in the bottom of my bag, you know, I'm going to wear it one time and it'll sit in the bottom of my bag. Um, Today I needed that thing. And however much the the three bucks I spent on it felt worth it to me because I needed to treat myself. Right. Um, so to sell that thing, you make it available to people uh, and you, you do all of this other stuff, right? You use color, you use, you know, when we're talking about a physical, a physical product, you, you think about size and weight and, smell and taste if it's lip gloss uh, and all of those things but at the end of the day I buy it because it solves my problem right um and I will buy it again if it solved that problem and you're human and you're gonna have another problem right right <laughs> oh buddy <laughs> so many problems but yeah so, so- okay Sorry, go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to say theme of the day, you know, benefits and pitfalls to using all these things that we talked about, um, you know, some pitfalls of uh, using personas or customer segmentation or anything like that is, you know, and, and again, all of this is tied together, right? Going mm-hmm. back to biases and stuff. Um, you know, we, we might be focusing on the wrong people or we might be making too many assumptions and mm-hmm. while we might be focusing on the right air quotes, people, um, we're not truly understanding what their problem is or what they, and I don't mean like, what's their problem? I mean, like in the <laughs> sense you were talking about, like what problem are you trying to solve for? Right. So, so yeah, yeah, you could, I mean, you can go down plenty of rabbit holes or be focused on the wrong people or putting way too many resources mm-hmm. into, um, you know, a, a subset or a, you know, group of people that at the end of the day might not provide what the business needs right now, which might be sales, might be uh, knowledge, you know, Mm -hmm. can be a a number of things. Yeah. Well, and another, I don't want to dogpile on the downfalls here, but uh, personas, doing a buyer, putting together buyer personas, especially if you want to be relatively thorough and think about the multiple different personas that you might be able to connect with. Um, it takes time. That's an investment of your time and energy. And, uh, 
I don't know if you know this, but marketers can be a little bit stubborn. And once you have invested that time and energy, we can become a little bit precious about that. And so in six months, um, maybe you get some good initial success from that. And then in six months, um, something changes. And I, you know, the world with the news cycle with, um, to me, it feels like world changing things are happening at an exponentially faster rate now. So where maybe you could have created, maybe 10 years ago, you could have created customer personas and your business could have rolled with those general assumptions for a couple of years. Um, today, you could do that. And in six months, something fundamental that you created with your ideal, your quote unquote ideal customer could have changed in that person's yeah. life, yeah. in that theoretical person's life. And um, if you become too precious about it, uh, you can start to push forward with a bad strategy yeah. just because you invested time in building who that person was, that imaginary person. Right. Yeah. <laughs> easy, easy way to get stuck, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I was really fascinated. The, the last one that you pointed out was neuromarketing. Mm -hmm. um, and once I Googled it, uh, <laughs> I realized it's definitely, I don't know if I ever heard it referred to as neuromarketing, um, but man, I love to learn a new word. Yeah. Um, and I, it is definitely something I was tangentially aware of. So I'm interested in talking about sure. it. Neuromarketing is the study of how people's brains respond to advertising and other brand-related messages by scientifically monitoring brainwave activity, eye tracking, and skin response. Right. Now, it should be said, your average marketer, uh, including us, we don't have, immediately I pictured the thing from Back to the Future that Doc Brown has in the beginning, where it has like light bulbs and it's like a colander. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, I, I have one. I have one sitting oh. right over there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, Use so it all ben, the time. Ben has one for his neuromarketing. <laughs> but <laughs> um, this isn't something just everybody can grab right. and do, but it it is fascinating and slightly horrifying to me. Yeah. So tell me what you think the benefits are of neuromarketing. Well, first I'll say the benefits of doing an audio only podcast is that I don't have to prove that I have that thing sitting over there in the corner. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, ditto echo everything you said, like, you know, this is something that we, we definitely don't have the resources uh, to be doing on any kind of regular basis or anything like specific to us or, uh, the work that we're doing now, you know, there are a whole lot of uh, reports and different kinds of research out there that can inform how you might do some of your work. So things, you know, like eye tracking is the one that you uh, mentioned. You know, there's people uh, that specialize in website design or UX or mobile device use and things like that, that, um, you know, have published things that 
say stuff should look like this or you should interact with it like that mm -hmm. or it should be designed this way because um, this is where people's you know eyes make things a priority you know so um, you know that's probably why we see the menu for most things in the upper right or upper left hand corner because mm -hmm. when people are looking for things there's some sort of research out there that has been done where you know they can measure that the person's eye is looking for that stuff in those places you know it might also just be because that's how the first person did it and then everybody else just <laughs> duplicated right. it but either way still however the wherever the origin of it is you know doing research like this can prove that this is what people are used to or what they're expecting you know so um you know brainwave activity and other things like that same sort of thing you know i I don't think we <laughs> we're definitely not advocating that people start to do any of this research by themselves unless you get a <laughs> big old budget in which case let's talk but yeah um, but uh you know using what uh universities or other research-based mm -hmm. organizations are putting out there to help um, give you guidance on the way that you should be creating stuff designing stuff writing things etc cetera, etc cetera. um are all ways that you know you can reap mm -hmm. the benefits of this super intense research that people are doing and I'm, I'm with you sue like it's fascinating to me i don't know how scary it is necessarily you know we had an episode of bit uh go about ai so considering how you know that comes into the mix of this sort of thing is a little i guess scary at <laughs> I hate to use the word scary because I think I'm just more optimistic and think that what we might learn from those kinds of things and how AI gets mixed in should be better for humanity at the end of the day. But we also know there's bad actors and, uh, you mm -hmm. know, companies that might be lacking integrity that could, um, you know, could create some scary results for people. Yeah. But at the end of the day, um, understanding this stuff and having AI come into the mix hopefully just means humans have more time to do more meaningful work and um, we're all better because of it. But I also understand why it's a little scary too. So yeah, I, one of the things that I saw and I, I'm, I have the link to the article that I was reading and I'll share it. Um, one of the things that uh, this particular article mentioned is they found that when people looked at a mini, like the Mini Cooper car, mm -hmm. that the part of your brain that recognizes faces was activated. Hmm. So there, there is something in the design of a Mini Cooper that people associate with faces. And it's interesting to me because um, I am a longtime viewer of ghost hunting shows. And a thing that they talk a lot about in ghost hunting shows is something they call matrixing. Matrixing is, at least the ghost hunters tell me this, is <laughs> the human mind's tendency to create faces out of things, mm. right? So when, you, when you're talking about ghost hunting, it is, I see like in the background of that dark room, there is a shirt and a hat and... Sure. There's some darkness underneath the hat. And now my mind says that's a ghost because I can see a face right. in that yeah. thing. So your mind is putting it together. Yeah. Um, or the non-ghost so, example, I see Jesus on my toast or uh, right. Abe Lincoln in the clouds or whatever. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> yes. I, <laughs> do we need non-ghost examples? I only have ghost yeah. examples. <laughs> Just, you know, for the non-ghost folks around here. Okay, okay. Um. So I... I 
right away my brain connected those two things like that must to me that must mean you know that people associate the mini cooper with a face um and we have positive associations with faces so we're looking for them all of the time and so yeah. right away the mini not as if they aren't making enough money uh the mini cooper people can that's something that they can use in their advertising mm-hmm. um which now if i were doing an ad for a mini cooper how would i use that uh if if it's the front of the car that looks like a face to people and it activates this uh particular part of their brain in a positive way then man oh man you know how a lot of car commercials you see the side mm-hmm. well you're going to see the front in my commercial because yeah, right. people want to see that little face yeah cool so yeah interesting stuff for sure yeah so and in terms of pitfalls i think the thing i just i just want i want to justify my use of the word scary um <laughs> and this is speaking as a marketer one of the things that this article also points out is that uh it can be neuromarketing can be manipulative mm. and i <laughs> i believe in really hitting that nice middle line i know to a certain extent the things that we are going to do as marketers are going to be with intention of manipulating so we know you know we talked about them being marketing is an emotional based sort of science so there is manipulation there because mm-hmm. we are working with people's emotions yeah um and it is that it is crossing the line in, and thinking about what what emotions or what things are you going to manipulate that i think is a scary idea mm. right yeah if like if we if we spend all of our time manipulating um and it is all about creating warm emotions it, like to me like we're doing white magic <laughs> yeah but if that turns into I'm going to manipulate you, especially when we talk about some of these other technologies like AI and deep fake and some of those things. If I'm going to manip- manipulate you in a way that is fear-based yeah. and create panic in you, then that that to me is crossing that ethical line and seems like something that would be really, really easy to do with neuromarketing. Yeah, and happens, right? I mean, right. We know it happens. Yeah scaring people into thinking that something in their world is falling apart so i have to do this thing now to protect myself yeah right right well and and i think a place that we see it and i i've uh i was listening to something recently that is uh, sort of pertinent there is political advertising right and i recently heard saw and heard an example of a political ad that was all ai deep fake um and was purely fear-based yeah and uh that to me ethically that crosses a line for sure yeah so and you know to say nothing still about the sarah mclaughlin aspca commercial which is (laughs) not fear-based but like that is manipulation of the highest order (laughs) (laughs) yeah i just got done crying again (laughs) yeah 
every time, man, every time. Well, bummer to end on a pitfall, but it's just the rhythm that we had for the show today. But obviously all this stuff, you know, is intertwined plenty of benefits. And I think the Mm -hmm. benefits of using this stuff and especially in an ethical way, far outweighs the potential pitfalls, but healthy part of the discussion to recognize where this Mm -hmm. could also lead you astray or, you know, get you dedicating resources to places that it maybe shouldn't, but. Right. Right. Yeah. We could probably have had an episode on each one of these things today. So we, I'm actually really surprised that we flew through that, but. We do, yeah. you know, we do good work and we, we get things done. We're efficient. Virtual pat on the back. Nice yes. Yes. And, and the good news is even though we ended on a pitfall, we get to move right into something awesome. So that's right. Yep. Speaking of something awesome, this is where we share recommendations for cool things that have happened, good stuff, content, et cetera, to share. Um, and I'm going to share this, uh, DIY dog toy project. I help run a youth leadership camp and that just wrapped up this last weekend. And we always tried to um, bring a service project aspect into it. Uh, We've done everything from like building raised gardens to like removing invasive species at the camp. Uh, And this year we uh, did this really cool one that I hadn't seen before where you take a couple of old t-shirts, you cut them up in a specific way, and then you can tie them together into one of those like rope style dog toys. Um, So we had 80 students at the camp and we wound up uh, cranking out 172 of these things. Um, And it was so much fun that uh, during our uh, regularly scheduled team time, we did this as uh, a team uh, here at Exclamation last, uh, you know, yesterday. Uh, and we cranked out you know, four or five of the toys in a half hour or whatever. So, um, you know, every animal shelter is looking for, you know, support, whether it's mm-hmm. a donation or supporting their events to help, you know, improve their operational budget or donation of food and toys and stuff like that. So like the ultimate win-win and that you get to get rid of some of the t-shirts that have been sitting in that bin in your basement for two decades now, and you know, you're never going to do anything with, but you also just can't get rid of them. (laughs) Uh, And uh, you know, for those to get out of your basement and then be transformed into something that a, that a little puppy will love, you know, that's uh, a win-win for sure. And uh, yesterday, Oh, gosh, what was one of the shirts that we cut up yesterday that kind of felt good? To, or maybe maybe it wasn't yesterday. It was at the camp. It was like a COVID shirt, like we're all in this oh, together or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So it was like, yeah, happy to not see this shirt anymore. <laughs> yeah. But um, so the link we'll share out is a video that's super easy, super short, walks you through how to do it. Really, anybody can do it if you've got some old T-shirts, uh decent pair of scissors and then a little bit of patience to tie the same knot again and again um it comes together pretty quick in there they're pretty cute pretty cool yeah and having participated once you know what you're doing it can get pretty zen yeah for sure one of those therapeutic mindless sort of yeah yes and my advice to anybody who's going to try it like really really pull that knot nice and tight and then you get a really pristine product yeah. Took me a little while to get there, but <laughs> yeah. good. I should have, I feel bad now because I should have had, I didn't pull mine out and give it to my dog last night so that I could endorse it mm. for you, but well, I'm sure yeah. she's looking forward to it. You can get us a follow-up on that. Let us know how yeah. it goes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> awesome. So my, my something awesome, 
which is, I, I can't believe I haven't brought this up. Now, we, we talked a little bit about your lack of theater kid bona fides <laughs> recently, um, but I want, to, I want to make sure I underline exactly what kind of a theater kid I am, because something I'm very excited about. Um, have you heard of the show Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street? I sure have. You have? Okay. Yeah. Well, you get an extra theater kit point for that, but thank goodness. Um, one of my favorite shows of all time. One of the first, I think probably the first Broadway show that I own the whole soundtrack and mm. memorized the whole soundtrack and whatever. Um, so it was on Broadway. I think it's, I can't, I looked it up and I can't remember now, but started in the late 70s or early 80s and it was on Broadway for a while it went away they're doing a revival and it is one of those things where your favorite intellectual property and then one of your favorite people come together for me because Josh Groban who I love I will who come doesn't? out of the I will come out of the closet as a Grobanite right now who doesn't I know but he is playing Sweeney Todd the lead lead role and it is uh, the music for him. Like it's this big baritone and huge yeah. soaring songs. And yeah, man, I bet he's so good. Pretty perfect for him. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, it'd be interesting to hear somebody with uh, <clears throat> a higher range try and do it. Like that might be a cool remix on the whole thing. But uh, but his voice is yeah, definitely yeah. perfect for it. Yeah, that's cool. Maybe they can come back with like an Ed Sheeran. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> he's, he's maybe got the look for it. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Every yeah. time I think of Sweeney Todd, <clears throat> I think of the office episode where Andy uh, is in like the local community theater and they do Sweeney Todd. <laughs> I either think of that or Johnny Depp because wasn't there like a Johnny Depp? Sweeney yeah. Todd? Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Johnny, they did a movie with Johnny Depp. Yeah. Hell on the bottom Carter. Yeah. Yeah. Which was quite, it, it was pretty good. Yeah. But cool. he's not Johnny Depp, not the singer that, that yeah. some of these guys are. Yeah. Certainly not Josh Groban, right? Was yeah. the Johnny Depp one a Tim Burton movie or am I just connecting every other Johnny Depp movie? It's just <laughs> everything he does. <laughs> I, it might've been, I don't yeah. know if it was a Tim Burton movie or, or if it was produced by Tim Burton and one of those, like, yeah, Tim Burton isn't really making this movie, but he's watching you, Johnny Depp. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will be Googling that as soon as we wrap up. Cool. Awesome. So that I'm, I can't do anything about it, but I'm very excited about it existing in the world. Yeah. So. So thank you, as always, for joining us. And we hope that we have given you some food for thought. Um, lots and lots of links that I will share. You can find those either uh, in the show description on your favorite podcast app, or you can get this and oh, so much more information uh, right on our blog. You can find us at exclamationcuso.com slash blog. Check it out. We have all of our podcast episodes up there as well as some other inf useful information, blogs, and things like that. You got it. 
Thanks as always for everything, Sue. Thank you, listener, for tuning in. Be awesome, and we'll see you next time. The Osmology Podcast is a production of Exclamation Services. Thanks to Nick Mulliver for sound production and Kylie Ganther for our cover artwork. Executive producers are me, Ben Bauer, and my friend, Suzanne Campbell.